Hello and welcome back to Stories RPG, the podcast where we tell stories better together. And with me today for our Right Light episode is Dan Hines, the illustrious author of the Stories podcast series. Oh, I don't illustrate them. I just write them. Uh, That's a little illustrious joke there. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, And we're going to be dealing with the second half of the 22 rules of storytelling from Pixar. I had a lot of fun with these last time, and I'm super excited to like go through the next 11. So let's jump in. Rule 12, because we ended at 11 last time. Discount the first thing that comes to mind. And the second, third, fourth, fifth. Get the obvious out of the way. Surprise yourself. Yeah, I think this is good advice. I think this is one of the better tips. And I think it's because a lot of times the first thing that comes to mind is the first thing because it's something you've seen before, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of a situation, you get your characters in a spot, whether it's in the game or in your private writing, it's the, the kind of first thought is going to be something familiar. Maybe it's a trope and a trope is. I think tro- I think of tropes as like story Lego blocks. They're really familiar, obvious things that happen so often in so many stories that they become kind of automatic. Like example, if somebody walks into a bar and there are two double swinging doors, the music will stop and everyone in the bar will look at them when they come in. Guaranteed. If there's a plate glass window on that bar, somebody's going to be thrown out of it when there's a bar brawl later on. That's all traditions from Westerns, and they apply to a lot of different uh, you know, stories that get told that reference Westerns. So think of it as those, those sort of automatic building blocks of stories, those traditional, obvious call and response moments. Yeah, it's the princess stuck at the top of a tower. It's the chosen one hero. It's the magic sword. It's the wise old wizard. It's the stuff we've all seen a bunch of times. And that doesn't mean you can't include it in your story. But maybe, you know, when you're trying to do something new, something kind of unique to yourself and to your story, go and take that first idea and put it to the side and try to drill deeper and get to the non-obvious thing to do, right? You know, it's funny because I actually have a different approach. Having done so much writing with other people using games, I love to take a good trope and kind of put it on its head. So if you have a wise old wizard, make him really weird or, uh, you know, give him something that that's very surprising. Like example, he's really old and wise, but he's also addicted to pizza and is obsessed with it. And all of his wisdom has to be expressed in terms of pizza. Um, I think tropes can be a fun way to access stories and it's a cool way to introduce, you know, ideas and, and run with them, use the things that are familiar, but then have fun with them, play around with them, get goofy and weird with them, experiment, and you can often find new ways of doing things that are more fun. Do you know how the Buddhist monk orders pizza? Oh, no. He says, make me one with everything. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a little pizza. And then once he, once, once, he, once he gets the pizza, he says, yum. It's a good follow up. Yeah, okay, all right. Thank you. I, uh, I, I appreciate it. All right, let's check out the next one. <laughs> Rule All number right. 13. 13 is give your character's opinions. Passive or malleable might seem likable, but it's poison to the audience. So what do you think about that? 
Yeah, so malleable means sort of changeable. Um, you know, this is interesting. Uh, in in writing, uh, sometimes you create a character who's a cipher. And some of the books you've read might have had characters who are ciphers in them. And a cipher means that the character's kind of a nothing. They're not really a strong personality. And the reason they're not a strong personality is they're sort of the vehicle for the reader. The reader sort of sits in their head and gets to observe the world through them. And if you made them too strong of a personality, maybe the reader wouldn't be able to do that in the same way, is the way some folks write. I 100% agree with this. I like weird, wonderful, outsized characters. And I, I'm personally, like, in Stories RPG, one of the things I love most, okay, there's drive and downfall. Those are really core to every character. You gotta have them. But Quirk is my favorite place to start with a character. Give me something weird about a character that sticks out. Something odd or strange. Um, you know, they're always solving a Rubik's Cube. Like, they, they just can't put it down whenever you look over. You know, they're, they're fiddling with the thing. That is going to make them come to life and give me ideas as a writer way more than a lot of the other things. Yeah, and I don't even think it has to be weird, right? So it's just... Have a main character who is driving the story, who's taking active roles in the story. It's sort of like the active versus passive voice when you're writing, right? You want somebody to slam the book. You don't want the book to have been slammed, right? Oh, boy. You, you, you got me thinking about our last game. In our last game, we had a moment where we got stuck. And part of the reason we got stuck was I was waiting for the characters to take action. And the characters were waiting for me to resolve the problem. And we all had to have that moment where we talked to each other and said, okay, well, what are we going to do? And we came up with a great solution, but, uh, but that, that can be absolutely poison to a story is to have characters be stuck and unable to think through and no strong opinion about what happens next or what to do. So yeah, when you're playing together, you definitely need people to be active. And uh, I do that a lot with like, I'll do that with Ape sometimes just kind of do something maybe a little wild or wacky just to start moving things forward again. And, you know, sometimes it's hard as a character to know when to do that. And sometimes as a storyteller, you kind of got to take take the reins and drive it. And then when you're writing for yourself, you're kind of in charge of everything. So having a character who's passive might not be the biggest deal, but your main characters, your kind of core group, you want to be involved in the story and you can't be afraid to give them a little more personality, right? Like, if you try to make something likable to everybody, it ends up sort of bland. I think you need to be able to have the courage to make somebody who's their own kind of unique person. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting you say that about, you know, you play the storyteller and your your character in a in writing. I think often your job as the storyteller in a game, but also in your own your own writing is sort of set your characters up so they have to make a choice. You know, put them in a situation where they have to decide and then ask yourself, okay, what do I think they would decide? Sometimes you'll you'll know what your characters want once you get them into a place where they have to make a choice. All right. And number 14 is why must you tell this story? What's the burning belief within you that the story feeds off of? And that's kind of the heart of the story. So why must you tell this story? What do you think of that advice? You know, it's interesting. I think that sometimes we push ourselves to be important when we write so much that we forget to have fun when we write. I think this is good advice, but I think you can sometimes find your way to what you want to say um, as you're writing. Sometimes you might not know precisely what the message is when you get cranking, 
but you'll find it as you go. Now, I've told so many stories for so long that there are some some themes that really resonate with me. You'll find a lot of environmentalism in my stories. You'll find very few villains. You'll find a lot of people who are struggling with one thing or another. And it's not really that they're bad people. They're they're messy people. And they're hurting the world with their mess. Um, these themes, community, healing, environmentalism, they show up a lot in the stories that I tell. And I'm sort of aware of them as being things I love and things I want to also just the weird, wonderful um, beauty and strangeness of the world. Um, so those are things I love and those come up in my stories. Um, I'm not always certain which of them I'm going to deal with when I'm writing a particular one. And it's okay to not know exactly, but knowing what you like to explore and what you want to play around with, the ideas you want to tell, important for completing a story. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the idea of you have to have a burning belief to start a story might paralyze some people. I don't I don't think you need to feel that way. I think when you're getting going, you know, it's good to have a belief, but that belief might be um that you uh love science fiction or that you love Harry Potter and wizards or you love I'm just you know, excited. Yeah. Be, Let's go. And you want to tell that kind of story. You want to tell like an anime style magic school story or a superhero story or sometimes that's enough, you know, and certainly you'll get better. And like you said, and like kind of we said last episode, you can find the theme, you can revise the theme. Um, characters can change, stories can grow, but you just you just got to get started. So don't be so concerned that you have to write the next great American novel that you don't just, you know, start getting something down on the page. Yeah, and I'll add a little bit about games. It's one of the things I love about games is sometimes you find a theme as you're playing together, and that can be really wonderful. You won't know where you're going when you start the game, but then there'll be a moment where you'll all kind of look up and you'll have that feeling, and you'll go, ooh, this is the this is the animating theme. This is the thing that we really have wanted to talk about. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to find it along the way through play. It takes away a little of that tension. All right, next rule. We are on to rule 15. If you were your character in this situation, how would you feel? Honesty lends credibility to unbelievable situations. What do you think, Dan? I think that's a great way to do it, but um, you want to kind of put yourself in your character's shoes and try to have an honest reaction, right? But that goes beyond just kind of surface level. So you want to think who your character is, where they came from, kind of what their mental state would be. You know, are they panicking? Are they in love? Are they happy? Are they terrified? You know, try to get yourself into that kind of mental space. And I think that's what it means by honesty lends credibility, right? So like some people are brave. Some people are, are afraid. Some people are, you know, like I said, in love or in love. That's maybe not two ways and it, it all affects how they act, right? Like even a brave character can be afraid sometimes, you know, somebody in love can make a decision that they wouldn't otherwise that may seem silly from the outside. It's all related to kind of the, the whole mental state and situation of the character, I think. And I think it's a good exercise to try to get yourself there and think, you know, not like what would be the most heroic, what would be the coolest action, but what would be an honest reaction? The minute I read this, every single one of these, I swear, I keep thinking people at Pixar need to play more role playing games like this is exactly what you do in a role-playing game. You get to have that moment where like, okay, I know how I might feel about this situation, but what about my character? How would my character deal with this? What are they carrying around? Um, 
I've, we've had a bunch of different moments in the show, which have been really great where, um, you know, I remember Amanda being like, oh yeah, you know, my family has got a lot of trauma around losing people in superhero stuff. You know, Jillian's dad, uh, was lost to a superheroic fight. And so was her grandpa. And that means that the question of like, how do I protect the people who matter to me becomes way more important and can really guide the question of what Jillian would do in a given situation. So I love this advice. And I think it's a great piece of advice for how to play a good story game too. All right. Then number 16 is what are the stakes? Give us a reason to root for the character. What happens if they fail and then stack the odds against them? Okay. I mean, again, Stories RPG, this is what we do, right? This is, I love this as a suggestion for how to think about setting a scene up and also about how to how to deal with that scene and make that scene compelling. Um, you know, a drama clock sets the, sets the drama and the conditions for success right away. If you guys don't pull this off, these things will happen. And even the resolution of every move allows for a great authorial conversation. Hey, I rolled a triumph with a trouble. Great. Well, what would be the thing that you did that worked? And what's the thing that's going to create more drama and struggle? Um, it has to be something where there's a payoff. There has to be, uh, you know, those troubles, they're what fuel the story and make it compelling so that you worry for your characters and you're engaged with that outcome. Yeah. It makes me think of, uh, I think it was uh, Hitchcock who kind of had the difference between surprise and suspense where surprise mm. is if like a bomb goes off at the table, but suspense is if you know, the bomb is there, you can cut to it ticking, you know, it'll explode. You know, they have this much time left, you know, the characters are here and they have to get out and you have all these things, you know, the stakes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the character needs to escape. If they don't escape, they're going to blow up. Right. So that's a pretty simple example but just little stuff like that. You want people to know, like, here is what is at stake. Here is the consequence if the characters don't, if things don't go the character's way in this scene, right? And whether that's in the game, which, you know, it's a lot easier to do that in the game, I think, because you're kind of setting stuff up for people to play through. And it's easier to have that sense of conflict in a game because that's kind of where we're used to it. But in your own writing, too, it's good to kind of, um, when you have your characters in trouble, make sure the audience knows why it's trouble knows not just the physical stakes, but the emotional stakes, like what the person, what the characters have invested in it and kind of how it'll all shake out. Right. Yeah. And I, I like, I don't know. I think that games have taught me so much about writing because I think sometimes I, as an author need a little bit of, of surprise myself. I may set up a scene for my character and then, you know, as I'm writing that scene, I get I, I have to think through, like, what would be a good consequence here? What do I, you know, I might have an end goal in mind. And I like to go back to that idea of suspense versus surprise. I think that's really important. In a really good story, most of the time, you know things are going to turn out a certain way. You know that the main character isn't going to be killed in the next scene. You know that probably they're going to be all right in the end of the book, So you're not really reading to find out if they live. You're really reading to experience how they move through those dramatic moments and what the suspense is, right? Like, how's it going to resolve? So I love that idea of like, set the stakes, make the stakes high, and then how each smaller thing resolves becomes really important to the story and the how of the experience of the story. So let's take a look at the next one. Oh, this is a favorite for me. 
No work is ever wasted. If it's not working, let go and move on. It'll come back around to be useful later. I don't know if I've said this yet, but I am obsessed with telling everyone this. If you're at home and you're listening, I want you to hear me say this, okay? Stop erasing things. Stop it. If you're typing and you don't like what you just typed, make a page break and just write on a new page. I always in my documents have something I call the graveyard or the dump, and it's where I dump stuff I'm not using. I'll just drop it off there. Big paragraphs sometimes. Sometimes it'll be a page or two. And the reason I say don't ever erase it is that you never know when you're going to find yourself as you're writing going, wait, I got an idea. Hold on. I wrote something about this. And maybe there's one sentence, maybe there's two that are lurking down there in the dump that will absolutely unlock the story for you and help you keep moving forward. Yeah, it can unlock the story and even simple stuff. Like sometimes when I'm, you know, doing stories podcasts or something, I'll come across uh, maybe I'll do a little turn of phrase that I like, a little bit of poetic description or just a little line of dialogue. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't fit here. And I kind of have the same thing. As I'm working on the story, underneath the story, I have just a pile of text. Usually yeah. it's where I put like my rough outline. And if I have done any research or anything, it's kind of all just skulking down there. And then whenever I come back to it, usually I can find something good. And uh, if none of it's applicable to the story I'm writing, you know, I just kind of move it over to a bigger kind of dumping dock. And, you know, it's always there. It's something I wrote and maybe it'll be useful and maybe it won't. But, you know, you already wrote it. So there's no sense in deleting it. You know, it's like practice, right? It's like any sport. Like nobody says, you know, I just played a bunch of basketball and I lost a bunch of games. What a waste of time. You were learning things, right? You know, I can't count the number of stories or games I've run that were terrible. That's wonderful because every single experience I had writing a bad story helped me learn what for me, makes for a good story. So even if you're not keeping the dump, boy, howdy, there's never any energy wasted. When you're writing a story, you are doing a wonderful thing. Never, ever doubt that every single second you spend writing that story is a good one. Plus, I think that helps, again, with the paralysis. You, even if you don't love your start, if you don't love what you're working on, it's okay to let it go. You don't have to delete it. It's not for nothing. You know, Move it to the side, start a fresh doc. It doesn't matter. Just kind of keep going, keep your momentum up, and then circle back around to the stuff that's not working for you. It's 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 okay to do that. One hundred. All right. Next up, we have number eighteen, which is you have to know yourself. The difference between doing your best and fussing. The story is testing, not refining. Mm. Testing, not refining. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think just the general, the first half of this is. So doing your best versus fussing is in, it's okay to fuss a little, I think it means, right? You go through and when you're doing your second draft, maybe your third or fourth draft, you know, you're just trying to do the best writing you can do and that's okay and that's great. And a lot of the best writing is done in the rewriting. Like most mm. people don't publish their first drafts. It's the second or third drafts that are what the audience actually reads. But fussing comes in when you're, you know, you're stuck on page three because you're not sure if it should be like, you know, the, the forest was dark and spooky or if it was a dark and spooky forest. You know what I mean? It's like that's <laughs> fussing, right? Yeah. You can't fuss with it. Past a certain point, make your peace with the fact that it's as good as it's going to get right now and you don't have any more energy for it. It's okay to say goodbye to your stories for a bit. Maybe you'll come back to them later. You you got to make your peace with the fact that there is no perfection. I, I Another favorite of mine is there's no such thing as a, a, a story that's complete. 
they're only abandoned. Eventually, you have to leave your story and move on to the next. And that's okay. That's part of the process. Yeah, and it's all right. Um, Stephen King, kind of the great horror writer, he has a thing where when he finishes a draft, if he's not in love with it, if he's done with it, if it's the best he can get out of it, he just takes it and he puts it in a drawer and he leaves it there for a month, a couple months, and then he comes back with fresh eyes. And I think that's a good thing to do too. All right, the next one, 19. Coincidences to get characters into trouble are great. Coincidences to get them out of it are cheating. And I totally agree. Oh my gosh. So many feels on this. Yeah, that's like every sitcom episode. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, well, I so there's this wonderful, wonderful term. And if you don't know it, here it is. Deus ex machina. So that means God from machine or mechanics. And basically, it's a term used in stories to suggest that the author has clumsily kind of rearranged fate to get the characters out of a situation they're stuck in. They do something ridiculously convenient to just remove a problem so that the characters don't really have to deal with it. And that is the worst kind of cheating because it takes away the whole point of the story. The point of a story is you want to see those characters deal with trouble, deal with drama, struggle through it. It can be messy. It can be awkward. It can even be painful sometimes. But that is the process of telling the tale. If something accidentally happens, that's just the storyteller revealing themselves. And it kind of breaks down that fourth wall. If you're immersed in a story, you feel the story, right? It feels really real to you. When something utterly too convenient happens to just fix a problem, it kind of reminds you somebody's writing the story and it can kind of ruin that suspense feeling of what's going to happen, how's it going to turn out, and really wreck the experience. Yeah. So going back to what you said, I think that's a good example, the, the deus ex machina. That comes from, like you said, old stage plays. And it's literally, they get their main character, you know, the guards are coming with swords drawn and the floodwaters are rising and the whole building's on fire and they don't know how to end it. So they'd have a mechanical chair lower from the heavens or the stealing of the theater <laughs> and the character would sit in it and then they'd raise them back up into the heavens and out of trouble. And it's like, no. it's just not satisfying. You know what I mean? You want they have to fight back the guards and stem the floodwaters and put out the fires. And that's what you want to see in the story. Right. Yeah. So, you know, let them, let them, you know, trip and knock over a candle and start the fire. And then the story is how they deal with that trouble. And, you know, it's fun for them to make a little mistake. Like I said, a little coincidence to kind of get things rolling. Cause that happens in day-to-day -day life. But you know, the, the solution should come from that. It should come organically from the events of the story and then, you know, as you're rewriting and coming back around a second time, you could make it tie into the themes as well. And it should all kind of flow together. And you don't just want some silly little thing solving all the problems because the readers are uh, not going to appreciate it. If you solve all the problems for your character, then ultimately that character has no point. And the story, in fact, has no point. You want, you know, if I, if I have to solve it for you, then it's not a story um, because the story is about, you know confusion and, and struggle, and it doesn't feel like real life. I mean, one of the reasons we love a good story is it allows us to think like that character and feel that, that frustration that we all feel in our own lives when we're faced with difficult situations. How do I struggle through this? How do I get through it? I'm not sure what to do next. Um, having somebody from outside or some force from outside solve the problem for you feels very almost... Um, condescending on the part of the storyteller 
and it can insult our sense of reality, our sense of what what's true, right? We all have to struggle. And that's part of what makes a great story great. All right. So number 20 is, as an exercise, take building blocks of a movie you dislike, and then how would you rearrange them into something you do like? Oh, that's a good idea. I like this a lot. I'm trying to think of a movie I dislike to do this with. Oh, the most recent Minions movie I did not, I, I, I think, needed help. Because I, I loved I loved a lot of the Minions movies. I loved a lot of the Gru movies. But there was one movie where Gru's a little kid. He wants to get into the big supervillain league. And he ends up getting captured by the supervillain league. And the Minions have to save him by using some some uh, Chinese Zodiac powers. Yeah, that's uh, that's the Minions Rise of Gru. I saw that one. Okay. So that one, to me, it felt like there were a lot of elements that were all over the place. And they also felt a little sort of disorderly. Um, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, it was it was almost like they tried to do too many things. They wanted a bunch of supervillains and they wanted a bunch of minions and they wanted the minions interaction with Gru and they wanted Gru's you know, desire to be recognized. And there was a little bit of a mentorship thing going on with the big, big, you know, villain guy who turned out to not be the villain guy. There were a lot of pieces and parts there. And I can imagine taking that movie apart and trying to rebuild it um, and having some fun with the ideas in it, because there's a lot of pieces there that I would have had fun with. Yeah. I think it's a good exercise. Take stuff. And even it can be stuff you like, stuff you don't like, just analyze you know how it works why it's working for you when it kind of falls short and i think that's a that's a great question is to ask you know why isn't this hitting as hard as it could whether it's like a big emotional beat or an action scene or maybe it's a chase that goes on too long and gets boring it could be anything but just kind of look at it and see if i was doing this how could i make this fun for me yeah and the flip side of that is is also like look at the ones you love and see what are the things that made me love this i think sometimes we get confused Folks who love, for example, for example, Minions, right? Or Star Wars, right? They'll often think that it's the world. So I love uh, Minions because they have, you know, they talk silly. Yeah, sure, they do. And they're funny. But there's also another piece to it, which is they're they're kind of, they're zany, but they're, they love each other, right? Star Wars, why do you love Star Wars? Well, because it's got lightsabers. Well, yeah, but that's not really why you love it. A lot of the characters are compelling. And if there's a particular movie you like, it's because, you know, there's a couple people in there you identified with or who you you really liked and you wanted to hear more about. Um, so I think it works both ways. You can take a movie apart that you don't like or a story um, and try to rewrite it. But you can also look at the ones that you love and say, what are the pieces here that really hooked me? And that'll help you with your own writing. So there you go. Actually, I just talked about identifying with characters and rule 21. You got to identify with your situation and characters. Can't just write cool or I don't know. My favorite is IDK. What would make you act that way? Oh, I got a really good example for this one. Um, oh, hit me. Okay. So a lot of kids, when they start writing their first stories in my classes, there's a lot of kids who create a character who they don't identify with. And they don't realize that they've created a character they don't identify with until you ask them a couple questions. So you'll say, all right, what's your character like? And they'll say, well, he wears a mask all the time and he's really good at fighting. And I'm like, okay, but like, who does he like? And they're like, well, he's alone. And I'm like, okay, what does he want? And they're like, uh, 
to be cool. And what becomes very clear as we're talking is they're trying to represent a character who is a, a power fantasy, somebody who is kind of perfect, right? They're this ultimate idea of cool. But the truth is, ultimate idea of cool is not a very interesting character. It's actually pretty boring. And if you've watched shows where there's a character who's really, really cool, um, and I'm thinking of people like, you know, the Mandalorian is the one that comes to mind. The reason the Mandalorian is cool is not because he wears a helmet and doesn't talk all the time. It's because he falls in love with the little kid. That's why he becomes cool. He becomes cool because you start to feel sympathy for him and, you know, see a heart in there and see a reason that you care about him when he uh, finds Grogu and finds that Grogu is, you know, somehow important to him. Yeah, and if you want a cool character who's just cool because he has a mask, I mean, there's a place for that, and they're side characters, they're bit characters. Think of um, Boba Fett in the original Star Wars going way back. He was just kind of a guy on the side. Like, all the other characters had a lot more going on. And it's okay if you just want to have, like, a little, like, kind of a silly or zany side character who has a few lines. I think there's room for that in stories. I think you should make room for that. But I think your main character has to have a little more meat on the bones. Yeah, you got to have them struggle with something. This goes back to that, you know, give us a struggle. Don't get them out of every situation easily. If that character's ultimately cool and ultimately skilled, they're ultimately boring because they're never going to struggle. They're just going to be like, yeah, I have an answer for that. And boom, bang, boom, they're out. Okay, well, now I don't want to read about that guy. I want to read about the person who's really having a hard time and having to think and work and struggle to figure out what to do next because they're way more interesting. All right, and last but not least is 22. What is the essence of your story? What is the most economical telling of it? The most economical telling of it, you know, that's this is sort of know the core of your story. I feel like it's important. You can work backwards to this. I said this before. It's okay to mess around and then find your core story as you move forward. Create some messy characters, see how they get along, figure out what their real story is about. But I will say, going into the Giga City arc, I definitely knew the core of the story that I wanted to tell. And the most economical, let me see if I can do this. Wow. Here's the most economical expression of the Giga City Guardians arc of Stories RPG. It's a story about coming face to face with the consequences of being a superhero and figuring out what your actual responsibility to a city and to its people is. Yeah, to me this is sort of like um like Kurt Vonnegut. We should do we should do an episode on his eight rules, but one of his is uh start as close to the end as possible. And I think that's trying to get at the same idea where it's like, you know, if you're telling a story about whatever, a knight fighting a dragon, like you don't generally start with a knight is a baby and he's going to preschool and then he <laughs> is a squire, right? You start first his with, parents met and right. then yeah. For that kind of story, for it to hit the hardest, I think, you know, personally, I would start it with the knight on his horse in the middle of the dark forest, alone with his thoughts coming up, coming upon the dragon, right? Like, you start it right near the end. You, you could even start it with him pinned underneath the dragon's claw about to have, you know, be roasted. And then you leave that wonderful in medias race, like, okay, we know how bad it's going to get. How did he get here, right? There's so many options there. But yeah, I get it. 
and just economy in general is just sort of me making every word matter, right? You don't want to write, I mean, some writers do. Some writers want to have huge sprawling descriptions of every food their characters are eating. And there's a place for that kind of stuff, especially when you're setting a scene or setting a, um, a location that's going to be important throughout the story. Like you want to give people a sense of place, but, but that is on purpose. That can still be economical because it's to a point, right? What you don't want is to fill the page with stuff that's not advancing character, not advancing the story and not advancing the setting. You know, if it's none of that, really, you should cut it. Like try to keep things on track and try to keep giving stuff readers that they actually want. Yeah. And I think this one is mostly about having that core concept of this is the story because that lets you anchor those moments. And when you get distracted by, well, you know, I really want to go on to five pages about, you know, what exactly this snack that, you know, because this snack is amazing. You can you can bring yourself back by reminding yourself, wait a minute, this is not the story. The story is, and then you have that one line to remind yourself, right? Yeah, and in the course of writing, maybe you'll change what the story is about, and that's fine too. But you should keep keep that central no matter what. You should know what the story is, what you're trying to tell. Just the rough beginning, middle, and end is always good to have. Amen. And on that note, we have come to the end. And uh, that was all of the 22 rules that Pixar has for storytelling. Um, And I hope that it's been enlightening for y'all. I've really enjoyed talking it through with you, Dan. I like it when we can think through our different perspectives together. I always feel like I learn a lot. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I could talk stories all day. Well, uh, if you would like to hear us talk stories all day, we're definitely going to be back for another episode of Right Light coming up. But don't worry, there's more Giga City Guardians coming next week. Um, there's going to be some epic events. You got to be ready for it. Uh, if you would like to play along at home, if you would like to read some of the stories we've written about Giga City and be a part of them, Look us up on patreon.com backslash stories RPG to get the downloadable game at home. And uh, we hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.